0: Hello everybody, this is Dan Woods from Early Adopter Research. I'm sitting here at the RSA 2019 show with Sam McLean, the CTSO of Arctic Wolf. We're going to talk today about the three questions that I've got related to the cybersecurity research mission on earlyadopter.com. The research mission is about how to create a balanced cybersecurity portfolio. So Sam, uh, would you tell me uh, about your job as CTSO and what Arctic Wolf does?
1: Sure. So uh, as as CTSO, I work with uh, other vendors, with our customers to try and figure out uh, technologies and services that we can add into our portfolio to help customers have that more well-balanced security platform. And what does the S stand for? Security? Services. Services. So Chief Technology and Services Officer. So, uh, Article uh, Networks was founded in 2012. Um, We provide uh, managed security, uh, managed SOC as a service to our customers. Um, We provide a platform, uh, log aggregation, data collection, um, plus uh, process and people, to provide SOC services uh, to companies that either uh, can't afford a SOC, can't build it out themselves, or don't have the technology and the people to do that.
0: Now, do you uh, come with a recommended set of portfolio products, or will you manage whatever they have?
1: We will manage whatever a customer has, but our platform was designed with the idea that most companies today, uh, smaller companies, uh, you know, think 400 to 1,000 employee companies, they'll have a firewall, they'll have AV, they'll have some form of an endpoint Um, Now, whether they have any of the ancillary technologies around IDS, IPS, uh, cloud monitoring and management um, is sort of hit or miss. And so our platform can go into an environment vendor agnostic and we can provide the service no matter what infrastructure is there if they have a good firewall that's got next-gen capabilities it enhances what we can do if they've got good AV and an endpoint also enhances what they do but we can provide the core service and the core value with nothing other than what we bring to the table.
0: How often do you recommend that they add a component?
1: Um, it depends on what we see. Um, most of the time we go into a customer we get our, our sensors deployed so that we can collect the information we need And over the first uh, six to eight weeks, we'll get a pretty decent understanding of what's in their environment. At that point, we'll also be able to determine, uh, do they need to upgrade their AV technology? Do they need a different endpoint? If they've got a lot of Office 365 account uh, breaches, maybe they need to go to two-factor auth. So we really start to make those recommendations on where we see their holes and and where we see they could get the most bang for their buck.
0: Excellent. Well, I think you're going to have an interesting uh, take on the questions I'm about to ask Ben. Um, just so you know, the, the on Early Adopter Research, we've created uh, what we call a research mission, which is a, a way of trying to describe how to pursue some important task. Mm-hmm. And the research mission related to cybersecurity is all about how to create a balanced cybersecurity portfolio. And so some of the issues that you've been talking about are really you know, right on target to the kind of things we're covering in that research mission. And. Um, and uh, I think that some of the, your answers to the questions should provide what I'm looking for, which is guidance, so that a CISO can you know, learn how to do a better job. So, the first question I have is about uh, zero trust and the, the kind of phenomenon that's become in the cybersecurity industry. Um, you know, it's 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 even though it's now become a, a marketing term that is almost as you know abused as something like cloud <laughs> or AI it also does, like those other two terms, really mean something. And so the, um, the fundamental insight of the zero trust concept is that you know, you are gonna have people with devices coming in and out of your trusted perimeter. Uh, you are gonna have people coming into your uh, perimeter and attacking things. And so if you take the posture of assuming that everybody's compromised, assuming that you know, until they prove themselves, uh, they are a hostile actor, you will be better off with your cybersecurity. Now, Google you know, introduced some of the thinking behind this and, and created a whole proprietary technology stack to implement it for their own purposes. Nobody else can do that. And also, there is no place to go and buy zero trust compliance as a package from somebody. And it probably wouldn't even be possible to define such a thing because it means different things to different people. So what I'm wondering is, how can we come at somebody figure out you know, what zero trust uh, can do for them in terms of a thought of experiment? You know, if you think about that, would, the react, would, our, would an appropriate reaction be, let's improve our authentic- authentic- authentication, so we have multi-factor authentication. Let's um, improve our device management so that you know, we, we can you know, really be sure of what's on the devices or on the servers. Let's um, create a cloud gateway so when people are outside you know, you just use a cloud gateway. So when people are outside of the perimeter, they're you know they're safe. And when they're trying to access things, and if I do those three the three things, and maybe add to that the idea of um, uh, trying to uh, look around my environment for for penetrations that have already happened, maybe I've you know kind of reacted to zero trust in a complete way. So I guess you know, if it, what what would you be your commentary on how? If you were a CISO, you would go about reacting to this concept.
1: So uh, it's it's an interesting question, and, and I think you're right. Um, Zero trust is is becoming quickly a, a buzzword that's lost its sort of uh, sort of more pure theoretical. This is what the model's supposed to look like. Um, one of the things that that we notice as as we go into customers is that you know the very first thing that we tell everyone is, can you tell us what's in your environment? Can you tell us where your users are? What do they do with their mobile devices that you don't manage? Um, Do you know what cloud is being used and do you know why it's being used? Um, So so taking an inventory of what you have, uh, both managed, unmanaged, uh, looking, as you said, looking at sort of the the holes you have in your environment, um, the potential threats that may already exist, um, that's sort of a first step along with sort of understanding where are your valuable resources? What what are they trying to attack? Most often it's a server, but it might actually be um, an OT network or, or something. So understanding that and then being able to say, do I have the right resources that, that need to be applied? Am I protecting the right things? Uh, the things you suggested around two factor auth or tighter auth, uh, internal firewalls, which is sort of the old school way of doing uh, zero trust, all of those things are important. Uh, what, what I find interesting is, is that I think the thing that's driving Zero Trust more than anything is the adoption of cloud, which you said was something else you, you wanted to talk about, because uh, as people move to Azure and move Active Directory out of their environment, as they move their mail services off to the cloud, as they move their, their compute resources off to the cloud, you've really created uh, you know a model where Zero Trust, the, the cloud becomes part of your data center and, and you can't trust anything that's hitting it so it's sort of driving that mentality in some ways which is kind of interesting i think
0: Um, and so uh the idea is that uh if you you, if you come in when you come into an environment you really try to do a lot of diagnostic work to to figure out you know what what the state of the art is what what the state of the the client is and then you you uh, uh you improve from there and if they need to do any zero trustee type things, you will recommend them.
1: Absolutely. The first thing we do, what's the segmentation of your environment look like? Um, uh, Most companies today have, have reasonably advanced switching and networking technology, so the ability to segment your network exists. Um, Most of the firewall vendors absolutely want you to to do the segmentation because it it puts their technology at front and center of the core of your environment and makes them a more valuable player in the area. Um, It's impressive how many people don't actually leverage that technology that they've invested in. Um, it, It sort of goes to the trend in the industry of it's hard to find skilled people that can help you configure and maintain an environment that's secure. Um, and, and that's sort of what we see, is is that a company will spend a lot of money on a next-gen firewall, they'll get it configured, but then that consultant goes away and they may not do anything with it. They may not maintain it, uh, make sure that the advanced feature set stay tuned properly. So that's, again, back to we, we sort of uh, land, take take a, a view of the landscape, figure out what's there and then start to add the value of this is a good area to focus on. Let's move those servers off onto their own segment.
0: Got it. Now. That makes sense, and and and, uh, and, and it, it, the idea is that you know it's a, I think it's a really good direction to ask you know why are, is a lot of technology and cybersecurity underleveraged? You know, that, I think that's a really interesting story. So the second thing I have to ask is is about um, portfolio pruning, and the idea is that in cybersecurity, you know, it's reasonable that the spending has gone up. Mm-hmm. because this tax surface has gone up. You know, you've got now more and more devices, more and more um, uh, surface area, whether it's IoT or cloud, and it makes sense that you would have to spend more to protect it. Um, but at the same time, you would think that as time goes on, that that you would get a situation in which you were able to prune your portfolio. You were able to reduce the something about your portfolio, <laughs> either the... Either the um, scope of the number of vendors you have, or the scope of the complexity you have, or maybe new compa- capabilities would replace and, uh, and make other compa- capabilities unnecessary. But it just doesn't uh, okay. seem we've gotten to the point, it seems like cybersecurity up till now has been additive. Do you think it's ever going to change from that, and so, will, we able, will, we, will we be able to prune?
1: So we're actually seeing that shift start to occur, um, again I think driven by the lack of security talent that's available to help manage and maintain that, that functionality. Um, uh, how, is it,
0: how is it playing out? How do you see the pruning happening?
1: So what we see is is that you know as as smaller companies under three four thousand employees as they um, start to outsource uh, their security services, their managed you know their SOC through ser- uh, services like Arctic Wolf, um, we start to go in and say you know what here's what we're seeing. Uh, We really think that you should invest more in AV and endpoint and then they may have had some kind of an IDS, IPS that they were leveraging that no longer really is required because they've got someone watching the front door and we're paying attention. And so we can start to to give them an understanding of the value they're getting for their security investment spend. Um, And also the idea is that once they've got a managed firm in there, uh, they don't really want to play with all the other products. There's like, can you add this? We get that question a lot. Can you add this to your service or can you add functionality that would cover this off? Um, because they are trying to, to minimize their uh, their vendor um, exposure, but it's I think it's generally related to they just don't have the expertise. Um, and if you hire someone, train them, get them functional on a tool set and then they leave, all that investment goes and you're back your nine your security programs back nine months while you go find the person if they're available and you can afford them and so uh... that's what they're really i think trying to manage and mitigate
0: so the idea is that give me an example of the like you said ids is one thing that because you have better monitoring uh... you know with the managed service you provide you no longer need ids because you're actually looking at the, yep. the what the IDS would be looking at and seeing if there's anything going on are there other examples of things that you've seen that you've been able to
1: prune so uh, a good example would be that's sort of tied to this is that you know everybody uh, everyone here at the show in one way or another is trying to to combat the lack of talent some people do it with AI. Some people do it with with outsourcing. Some people do it with a combination of machine learnings, looking at the network differently. Um, a, a good example of this would be someone makes an investment in a in an endpoint for EDR, and as you and start, and then the
0: EDR is endpoint detection, detection and response. Yeah,
1: okay. and and the idea is that those platforms tend to collect lots of information about what's happening on a on a on a desktop or a laptop. And then you apply analytics, and you can tell has a piece of malware been been installed there. Well, if you had an older IDS that you invested in two or three years ago, that used to just watch the wire and do that. You get much better fidelity from managing the endpoint, and so that technology sort of replaces it. So you see that kind of uh, leapfrogging of you know I, I want a next gen firewall, and then I want next gen endpoint, and then I you know and it just keeps going. So, there are
0: actual systems where the improved capability, this is the first one that's come up, the improved capability of EDR can actually replace the need for an IDS system.
1: Absolutely. And, and if you think about it, um, for, for a workforce that's, you know, they're, depending upon the environment, most people now have a laptop rather than a desktop. So they'll take it home, and back to zero trust. They go outside the trust for part of the time, inside the trust for part of the time. So you need some kind of an endpoint to sort of deal with that problem. And so the investment that you make there does give you two functions at once, which is sort of where people are going. Again, I, I, I want my dollar to, to count for as much as possible.
0: How often do you recommend products like you know cloud gateways of some sort, like whether it's a Wandera, uh, you know, for an, an, a mobile device management or a a Zscaler, you know, where they have a, a cloud gateway that allows you to Protect yourself both when you're on premise and off premise?
1: So, we try to maintain a, a level of vendor agnostic uh, in our environment. The most common scenario where we, we'd apply that kind of a, of a recommendation is a customer will come to us and say, Hey, we're looking at, at moving to a cloud gateway. What do you think of a Zscaler? Uh, um, you know, we have a lot of heritage in the company at Bluecoat, so we get proxy questions all the time. Um, but all our security professionals span the gamut uh, some Active Directory, endpoint, firewall. So we'll leverage those people to sort of give a a well-rounded here's the value of Palo Alto versus an ASA with firepower or whatever Um, but ultimately it's back to the customer what's the best buy for your business Um, we're not selling that we don't manage it so do you have another trusted partner that you can leverage that would work closely with us those are the kinds of areas where we think we can add value uh, as part of their security community that helps support them
0: Um, And right now, the third question is about cloud migration. There's a lot of migration going on to the cloud and, uh, you know, some of it uh, is, in terms of cybersecurity. is just um, vendors are putting more and more of their infrastructure in the cloud or they're having on-premise systems that then have, in addition to um, the... the on-premise component; they have a cloud component that's making the, the software stronger mm-hmm. in some way, sharing threats or doing the machine learning in the cloud or whatever. But then, uh, and so, you know, then and then there's the question of what on-premise software well, cybersecurity systems maybe would be better implemented in the cloud. Then there's the question of as you move to the cloud, how are you going to secure you know the cloud uh, uh, and, and and make it? And then finally, how are you going to do that without creating even more complexity and more risk, uh, and and then finally the last cloud question is, if you're when you go to the cloud you offload a bunch of security to the cloud vendor. A lot of the stuff that you used to have to do with network and used to have to do with the machine, they're going to do. But the question is, how do you know they're doing it well enough? And you know, the uh, most people, you know, they argue, uh, well, you know, the Amazon cloud team or the Azure, you know, cloud security team is way better than your team, but. How do you know? I mean, you know, you, you should be able to verify that as well.
1: So, uh, I may tackle this in reverse order. Um so, so, I think from a, how do you know that your cloud provider has good security, I think that's what the certification process is all about. Um, SOC 2 type 2 sort of certifications, ISO 27001, the different standards that are out there, um, you absolutely have to put your trust there um, provide the documentation, ask the questions. Again, uh, the, the more interesting concept is... But couldn't
0: thi- you also like put monitoring uh, systems in to make sure that you're secure?
1: You can, and, and people do, but again, back to the, if you don't have enough security professionals to manage an on-premise, moving it to the cloud just shifts the locus of where you're actually looking. It doesn't actually lighten the load of what you have to do. now. You, well, the, it doesn't. I mean, well, the operational I mean, side I mean, of it, I you do. There, you know,
0: there, there's fewer cybersecurity things to worry about in the cloud. I mean, it does lighten your load in some ways. It, it does
1: in some areas, but but the but no one no one goes a little into cloud. And every 100 of our customers have some aspect of their environment that's cloud based. Most of it is not driven by IT and management. It's bring your own device. You know, I, I, I can connect up to email and I back up my phone to iCloud. And so suddenly you've got your data in the cloud whether you like it or not. Right. And and so that, that sort of, you know, used to be called shadow IT functionality. It magnifies the number of SaaS systems that you would need to go look at, but it also, you have to get your hands around what's there. And so I agree that, that moving to, purposely moving to cloud, lowers your operational security aspects from a physical layer, a data center layer, a networking layer. Um, but then you have six vendors with six different consoles and six different types of, of alerts that all are different. Le- high means one thing to Salesforce versus Azure versus Amazon. You still have the problem of trying to consolidate that and get your hands around it. And it it's why we've got such a strong play in the cloud because you've got to be able to grab that. It, it, it is, you know, your corporate infrastructure and so, so you need so, to be able to So grab how that.
0: do you do that without creating a mess?
1: Um, you have to understand it, you need help. I mean, at the end of the day, you need to be able to look at the, the couple hundred alerts that come out of uh, AWS's security console, be able to say, you know what, that one's real, that one's not. Um, simple things, You know, the, the, I, I was talking to someone earlier today, 80% of the threats that we see, basic security hygiene would solve. Patching, strong password management, paying attention to the basics. It's no different in the cloud. Um, don't don't use the default passwords in software you deploy. Um, make sure that all of your your data access is authenticated. The number of, of public S3 buckets we see in AWS from our customer base. Like we had no idea and it was a developer early on and rolling out to the cloud who did it for expediency thinking no one can get to that bucket and you know now everybody can get to that bucket because people scan them all day. But that kind of model will help but but the, everyone's moving to the cloud and, and you still, it's like any other software move. You know, you've you got to right. pay attention to it. And you've your, got your to have value expertise.
0: proposition is the same. Whether or not the scope is bigger or smaller, the, yep. the question is you have to have expertise. You have yep. to have an integrated approach. Absolutely. And, and then that's, that's what you're selling. Yes. Got it. So, the, the next uh, uh, question is perfectly online to what you just said, and that is, why is it that you think companies often buy another cybersecurity component instead of investing more in operational discipline and cybersecurity hygiene, like you see the way you put it. You know, better config management, patch management, asset inventory, automation could really improve things at a lot of companies, but often that's not the focus, you know, and maybe they might buy a new cybersecurity component rather than, than work on those things.
1: So it's an interesting, it's an interesting dilemma. A, I, I think as a vendor, we're, we're pretty good at marketing what we do. And so we, we the sexy nature of buying the shiny new thing to go play with, absolutely, um, is part of that phenomenon. But I also think um, employee turnover. So you have someone that's really versant in, in tool X, you buy tool X, they stay with you for 18 months, they rotate out, and the next person you bring in is like, oh, I hate that tool, I want this tool. So there's a little bit of that. But the other thing is, is that again, a lot of people, because the, the breadth of maintaining a good security posture, um, if you look at like the NIST framework or the CIS control framework, um, there's a lot there that you have to pay attention to. And a lot of it is not sexy. A lot of it is, is boring for lack of a better description in the way of it's just basic blocking and tackling good security hygiene. And uh, a lot of times, you'll see a security professional come into a company, get their hands around it, get them to a base level of security, and then there's nothing exciting. It's sitting around, writing controls, talking to auditors, going to meetings with IT about new applications that are being deployed, and that's not where the, the really intriguing work is. They want to be you know, building things and creating things, so they move on. Then the next person comes in, and, and again, it's that, that sort of phenomenon, I think, is driving some of that.
0: How do you guys try to improve gradually? You know the, the operational discipline of your your um, company because because there's a variety of moves that can be made that improve cybersecurity, such as having really great backups, you know, or reconfiguring your network, or, mm-hmm. or a variety of other things. Um, you know, these are all operational discipline type things. What do you guys recommend? Programs, or do you run programs of improvement?
1: So we are um, we are quickly moving to standardize on sort of industry standard framework. So we are moving to our service uh, following the NIST framework, um, and 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 also a maturity model that goes with it. So that as we talk to a customer over their first year of service with us, we can give them a more holistic picture. Here's where we see your security framework, your security posture, and in these areas we think you're weak and in these areas you're strong or these areas don't apply and we can work with them to strategically build up those models. Um, We don't have any programs per se in that area, but part of our service is an ongoing strategic discussion with them about where they are and where they should be investing. And it's tied to not just what we think and what we see in the industry, but actual data from what we've seen in their environment. So if we have a, like I said, if we have a customer where 60 of their 150 events that year were Active Directory login uh, breaches or phishing attempts, and you know what, maybe you need to invest in some user awareness and we can help you with that, or maybe you need to go to two-factor auth. Uh, But it is that kind of observe and understand where the best bang for the buck is gonna be that that we sort of leverage there.
0: Got it. Um, And then the next question leads right from there, and that is, where have you seen companies do a good job of, Enforcing and, and encouraging a, a culture of cybersecurity awareness, you know, because there are certain industries where the whole industry is known for it, such as the intelligence industry or in financial services as well. But, but, you know, in the rest of the, the, the um, uh, business world, it just doesn't seem as common that that would be uh, uh, a uh, an important uh, cultural thing. What have you seen in places that actually get it right? How do they do it?
1: so uh, there's a a they do it the the, the very first thing is companies that actually have an awareness program even if it's an annual hey you got to watch this 15-minute video those companies automatically get better at it Um, i've seen a lot of interesting um uh, sort of security programs where um They'll, give a, they'll have a monthly contest as who reports the most spam that they get in their inbox or phishing attempts. And they broadcast it to the company and the, and the two people that win for the year get an extra vacation day um, kind of a thing. And so, it, it costs the company a little bit, but the, the, the recognition that you get from being part of a community where you're all focused on the company's security together has done a lot. Um, and then, oddly enough, younger companies that have a younger employee base that have grown up with the technology they sort of get the idea that you don't use the same password everywhere and biometrics is kind of a good thing whereas the the, the, the people who maybe started the job where there wasn't a lot of technology involved they have a harder time adapting to well it's always been done this way um, it's it's less common now but early in my career I, I saw a lot more of that um, so
0: now what, what is the um uh, the last question is about cyber security insurance, and a lot of people who, you know, are in the CIO, CTO, CISO business are sort of forced to buy this insurance by the CFO, by the CEO. And they often cringe when they, they, they hear it come up because the insurance isn't that good, it doesn't cover that much, it's still a very early product, there's lots of escape hatches, and it usually involves some audit by people that maybe they don't respect or don't think are that good and you know, bringing up irrelevant issues. But uh, there are very few of these people are able to argue um, the CFO or CEO out of buying it. So how is it possible to turn that conversation into something that actually has a positive impact?
1: Um, that's a good question. So the customers of ours that have gone down this path um, They actually leverage us, so when they get the insurance company come in and do sort of an audit of what are your security best practices, this is the space we live in. So we're actually able to deal with those people as a a trusted vendor. and and make that process as painless as possible. We can give them a a fairly good assessment. Here are the controls we see, here are the programs we see, here's the incident response plan that we've co-developed with them, here's what we do. Um, Just like any other sort of regulatory or compliance audit, um, having someone that understands the lingo, that knows the jargon, that knows what they're looking for to to speak on your behalf makes it easy. we generally aren't asked to to weigh in on should we or shouldn't we buy insurance it's generally more we've made a decision to and so can you help us get through this
0: well what would your recommendation be to a CISO who's trying to uh, make this into something positive rather than making it into something that seems like a waste of money Uh, I I
1: haven't I haven't really thought of it I'd love to give you an answer I don't I I think that if if the the board or the the business owner um actually sees the risk is something they need to cover off um maybe the case could be made you know what that spend we might be able to put towards a better you know there are other areas where we think we have exposure and closing those off might be better especially given that the insurance may not cover everything you think it's going to cover um a lot of the risk might be out of our hands and so you're really spending money in a way that we can't affect anyway. So,
0: well. Sam, this has been a really fun conversation. I really appreciate it. Mm, Thank you.